0: The glory of God, one of the key subjects that you'll find throughout the entire Word of God, uh, speaking to the very attributes and person of our God and and the enormous reality that is, especially for us as finite man, when we see and understand through the Word of God uh, the greatness of our God. And it's manifested spiritually to us, and in the Word of God, it's even manifested physically because of the greatness of our God, the I Am. And I want to look today at a vision of God's glory. Well, it's been said several times in the service that we are on the brink of a new year. We've heard much about that on all kinds of media, and we talk a lot about New Year's resolutions. But even Christians so often somewhat uh, smile knowingly when you hear about a new year's resolution because really everybody expects them to be broken well for a believer we don't talk about new year's resolutions we talk about steps of faith that God wants us to take in light of who he is and what his word is said and the good news is by God's grace they don't have to be broken that there can be transformation he came to my desk with quivering lip. The lesson was done. Dear, dear teacher, I want a new leaf, he said. I have spoiled this one. I took the old leaf, stained and blotted, and gave him a new one, all unspotted. And into his sad eyes smiled. Do better now, my child. I went to the throne with a quivering soul. The old year was done. Dear father... Hast thou a new leaf for me? I have spoiled this one. He took the old leaf, stained and blotted, and gave me a new one, all unspotted, and into my sad heart smiled, Do better now, my child. And I would say even more than that, Walk by faith now, my child, and experience my deliverance. When we see God and understand who He is, we have a total different view of what God can do in our lives. And folks, really most of the problems we have come from the fact we really do not comprehend the greatness of our God and what that means for us. Turn with me to the passage that we often think of as the display of God's glory in the Old Testament. That's Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 a very strategic time in the nation of his Israel and in these first eight verses that we're going to look at briefly here this morning, we see the impact of understanding spiritually who God is. Now this vision occurred in a very unsettled time in the history of Israel. In fact, many commentators would say that the glory of Israel really began to fade after Uzziah's reign was completed. If you look with me at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also. And so we know when this was written, and it was uh, around 740 B.C., Uzziah had a mighty reign. Of course, he reigned uh, five decades. However, the last one was a sad one because he, uh, in in his great strength, having conquered all major kingdoms, Having a 300,000 standing army, we read, uh, and the Bible says he was extremely strong, 2 Chronicles 26, 15, and his name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But instead of Uzziah seeing all that had happened as being benefits from the Lord, he looked at what had happened from him and who he had uh, his part in it all. He saw the gifts rather than the gift or, giver. Second Chronicles 26:16 says, "But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord, his God, and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense." He developed an arrogance spiritually. Now, you see, Uzziah had taken great steps of faith to believe God and had done right, and God did mighty works through him. Israel was very much glorified, and God was glorified. But it came to a place where he began to take credit. He began to depend upon himself, and uh, he did not have that reverence for God as he should for him to... uh, come and go into the temple of the Lord to burn incense was unthinkable for one who was not a priest and sanctified as a priest. And it's an arrogance. But you think today of how God's people often do not tremble at the reality of who God is and take seriously what God has said about how we are to be stewards of our lives and so he wanted spirit, his spiritual life to be under his control. Everything else was, but that's not doesn't work that way. And also, he he just forgot what God had done. So God had to judge. He right in there in the temple, as you know, he was made a leper. He was cast out. He lived in a house separate. His son Jotham uh, became co-ruler with him during that time. And uh, and so. Uh, This was a time in which the nation of Israel had already been hurt greatly through the example of Uzziah and was on a downward turn. And Isaiah's prophecy, of course, deals with how God was going to have to judge the nation of Israel. And so at this key point, God gives Isaiah a vision of himself so that he would not view everything from a human perspective. Are you tempted in these days to look at things from a human perspective? (laughs) Do you find yourself getting clouded in your thinking? Do you find yourself being weakened sometimes by reactions to what you're seeing in our culture and in the political realm, both nationally and internationally? Yes. Every one of us would have to answer that. But when we have our eyes on the Lord and a proper view of ourselves, Everything changes at that point. And uh, our hearts are deeply uh, encouraged and challenged to realize that God is in control and that God will enable us to do everything He has called us to do. So I want to look here today, first of all, at the vision of God's glorious holiness. This just stands out here in this passage. Very interesting. We'll see three different words for God in the first few verses. You have Adonai, Lord, in the first verse. You have Yahweh, Jehovah of hosts. Uh, That's in verse 3. And then we have the king in verse 5. And so we see the different dimensions of the rulership And of the personal I am, the communicative heart of God uh, to know us. And then the king, the one responsible for us. So we see here a very awe-inspiring but very personal view of our God. And so let me read the first four verses here. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke." very, very important window into uh, our God. Now I think that Isaiah was probably in the temple, the Solomonic temple at this point, but his vision was not occurring in the temple. It was in the presence of God in the heavenly throne room temple. And God brought him spiritually into that uh, perspective. And uh, and so, uh, this was uh, a very important time, and the thing that comes out through this entire section here, by the term seraph, we'll look at in a seraphim in just a moment, and what they cried and so forth, is the the aspect of when you see God, you see holiness, one set apart. You see His glory comes out of His perfection. His absolute sinlessness, His perfections bring, uh, His his holiness brings the perfections of love and of mercy, long-suffering, and all other aspects of God as we've talked about in our series here. And this is a simple and profound word which occurs 900 times in the Bible. The matter of the holiness of God. It starts in Genesis It's creation that goes to the closing chapter of Revelation. But it's very interesting. With this theme so pervasive throughout the Word of God, how many modern-day hymns do not use the Word? How often is the Word even heard in our churches today that say they believe the Bible? Thank God for the grand old hymns. There's a reason, by the way, we sing those. We sang holy, holy, holy holy uh, here this morning. Uh, the whole idea of sanctification, being a saint, all comes from this same root. And so just as all the colors of the spectrum come together to form the pure white light which illuminates our world, so all the attributes of God come together into his holiness. And that's why that, this is so Im- importance, important. Important. There is an eye that never sleeps beneath the wing of night. There is an ear that never shuts when sink the beams of light. There is an arm that never tires when human strength gives way. There is a love that never fails when earthly loves decay. We get comforted by a poem like that, don't we? I just want to tell you it's because he's holy. It's because you can count on him. And we see here the, the angelic messengers want to make it clear under the direction of God the deep character of our God that causes him to be the faithful, loving, just, perfect God that he is. And it's, it's really his holiness is part of his glory. Now, it's exhibited here in his authority over the total universe, um, He's sitting on a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Psalm 2 verse 4 says, He that sitteth in the heavens, speaking here of all the nations that go against him, shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Folks, make no mistake about it, our God rules. But he has made man in such a way that he has given to us a genuine free will. And there's a very real Satan that does control the realm of darkness. But my friends, God Almighty is sovereign and he is on the throne today. What a blessing. I believe this is a pre-incarnate vision of the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. His throne exercises absolute control and he is high and lifted up. He's exalted above all spiritual powers. And especially now, Jesus Christ is seated as the God man far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. No spiritual being, angelic being, whether fallen beings under Lucifer or the great angelic host, there is uh, none that are uh, uh, that are not under him. He is exalted above all, and he is separated from all evil. His train fills the temple. His robes of glory uh, are so pervasive that as there was a spiritual vision by Isaiah, all he could see was the train of God's glory, his presence, uh, the robes of God filling the entire temple. Uh, Think about the fact that uh, Moses when God came after the tabernacle was uh, dedicated, could Moses enter the tabernacle? No. I'm telling you, when the, when the reality of God's glory is there, man cannot approach it. The priests could not enter the temple when uh, the dedication under Solomon was made and the mighty presence of God has come. And folks, we need to realize God's deity and the glory of his deity pervades this universe. And it's an opportunity at all times for believers to be able to be aware of that reality. Folks, it is never because God has pulled back his glory. It's because we can't see it. It's because we're not in a place that we can uh, be touched by that. It's exhibited here in the angelic praise, in the angel's praise. Uh, You have the seraphims, Uh, each one had six wings, and uh, two of them covered the face, uh, two covered the feet, and the other two caused them to be able to fly. Now it's very interesting, this is the only time that the uh, heavenly creatures, um, uh, angelic beings, the seraphs, or the seraphim, uh, that's plural, um, are mentioned in Scripture. I think they're alluded to in the uh, book of Revelation. But the word uh, has the idea of burning ones. Uh, the, uh, they, they just are, they reflect the full uh, display of the glory of God. But there's a burning to it. And it's interesting. You see the Lord Jesus in Revelation 1. You see burning fire. You, every time you look at some of the key displays of God, you see that reality. And the word here that mean, uh, seraph means to burn is not the word used of the burnt offerings and uh, the incense offerings, those that were a sweet fragrance. That's not the word that is used. It is only used for the sin offering. Now, it's very interesting here that uh, the seraphim have the uh, especially in relation to man for Isaiah had this vision there in the presence of God they were the ones crying holy 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 and their very flaming appearance made it very clear to Isaiah that, uh, that, that sin has to be dealt with and it's uh, it's a pretty awesome thought when you look at it. They form a, a semicircular crown of burning glory. And they speak antiphonally. If you've ever been uh, in a place where you have antiphonal choirs going back and forth and it's well done, or you have big brass choirs, uh, it's just it's thrilling. I mean, from the back, the front, from the side. Well, that's the kind of a, a feel that you have here, uh, that they're crying one to another And so so there you have the robes of the deity of God. You have this flaming fire of these uh, seraphim speaking of the judgment needed upon sin and crying out, Holy, holy, holy. It's just filling that entire place. I mean, it's so overwhelming. Isaiah immediately thought he was going to die, but this was a spiritual, not a physical. Uh, time and God protected him, but he got the full understanding. And you have here the uh, um, the fact that uh, they they speak of God very clearly here of his eminence. The language of fullness, employing the same Hebrew word, occurs three times in verses one, three. And verse 4, twice an application to the temple and once to the whole earth. So this passage, insisting as it does on the awesome transcendence of the sovereign God, also emphatically teaches His eminence. His transcendence is not remoteness or aloofness, but is known through the presence of His created world and temple. Divine transcendence, transcendence and eminence are always held in balance in biblical theism. Isaiah himself says later, uh, great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Uh, Isaiah 12, 6, cry out and shout, thou inhabitants of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Now, I got to get this across here right now. The fullness, the whole earth is full of his glory. Let's look again at verse 3. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now my friends, this idea that God is an old man sitting up there somewhere and not connected to us is absolutely a pagan, ungodly, satanic lie. Our God is the all-powerful God of the universe, and his glory fills the earth And it's the glory of one who is holy, holy, holy. And my friends, make no mistake about it. You read the book of Revelation and you're going to see what happens when God allows physically His glory to be manifest on this planet. People will be screaming around the world. People will be hiding in the mountains trying to hide and they cannot from the presence of God. God in His mercy and long-suffering holds back that fullness of His revelation of who He is. But make no mistake about it, you cannot run from Him. You cannot hide from Him. He is here right now in this place in a special way because this is a gathering of God's people, but He'll be in your home when you go there today. He's going to be in 2023 every moment that you live. And it's the God that the seraphim say is holy, holy, holy. I'm telling you, if we'd get a hold of that, it would change everything we do. You never do anything in secret. Nothing is ever done behind God's back. Every thought, do you know He knows your thoughts better than you know your thoughts? He knows the intents of your heart. And we need to realize the seraphim here, these burning ones are, are giving Isaiah, and of course through Revelation giving all of us now, That that very strong message, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of uh, hosts. The whole earth is filled with the glory of His holiness. Oh my, what a difference it would make. My friends, the United States of America needs to understand that they cannot shake their fist in the face of a God and do what they want to do and get away with it. And I do not say that negatively, I say it in full compassion because Jesus Christ died for the sins of the whole world. And my friends, it's time for us as God's people to be broken about a generation that thinks that they're independent and hiding from an Almighty God and try to, in their own minds, make Him not exist, develop a secular progressivism that, that is built on an evolutionary concept of mankind. My friend, that's a deceptive lie, but it's not true. And when we pray, God can break through that because His glory is in all the earth. That's why when you pray for someone that needs the gospel, God's there. When you pray for someone that you're burdened for, God's there. The Spirit of God will convince of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Our prayers do make a difference when we go to the throne that we're talking about here. Oh, you see the reverence of these seraphim. As their faces are covered. Their feet are covered in holy humility. And it's exhibited in the results seen to the angels' praise. The threshold moved here. The post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. Oh, you remember when God came down upon Mount Sinai, what happened to it? Exodus 19, 18, and Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in a fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. The foundation shook. See, the same thing happens wherever you are. And my friends, that's why the entertainment and music and all of what the world has, the entertainment, the amusement, not to think. All of that's there because the reality of God is around, but we don't want to think about it. And that's why God's people need to stay in full fellowship with God that loves them and understand this so that they can be burdened. But we allow the very same things that distract the world from the reality of the truth to distract us from the reality of what we have in our salvation if we're truly saved. And how important it is. And by the way, folks, that's why we cannot allow any of that methodology of distracting from a full understanding of who God is to enter into any worship of God in the church of the living God. Number two, vision of our sinfulness. This was wonderful, but it was very painful Preparing for a meeting in a large city, the famous evangelist Billy Sunday wrote a letter to the mayor in which he asked the names of individuals he could pray for that he knew had spiritual problems and needed help. He was sort of shocked when he received in the mail the uh, city directory. (laughs) Well, that's pretty appropriate. We are all in need. Isaiah was also shaken. Not just the foundation was shaken, Isaiah was shaken. He was in the presence of a holy God. What happened when Job saw the Lord? He said, I repent in dust and ashes. When Simon Peter recognized Jesus, the creator of the fish of the sea there in Luke 5, what happened to him? He fell at his feet and cried, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. The apostle John, when he saw Jesus in his vision in Revelation 1, fell down at his feet as dead. No one should be able to see this even the seraphim had their eyes covered. God's fire and glory can annihilate. And that's why that wonderful promise of John 16, 8, and when he has come, I've already quoted it, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And we need to pray that he does. Isaiah knew that he had unclean lips. He understood it wasn't, He's not speaking of his humanity here. He's speaking of his own impurity. The uncleanness of the nation. Look with me at verse 5. Then said I, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. The uncleanness of his nation. <clears throat> the sight of the king. And here's the heart that I want you to get. What is the main purpose, folks, of us as believers in relationship to God? Our lives are to give glory to Him. We are to give praise to God by the power of the Spirit of God. You look here in Isaiah 6, you look at other places speaking of the throne room of God, but especially in Revelation The Lord God Omnipotent reigneth. And you have some of the great strains of what we know as the Messiah, the Hallelujah Chorus, and uh, the King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. What you see permeating the throne room of God is praise. It is the highest privilege that we have to fellowship with God and to worship Him through praise. And he said, woe is me! I cannot do what those seraphim are doing. That's why he said unclean lips. My lips can't praise. I can't enter into the throne of God and praise the Lord because I'm unclean. I cannot cry out, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. My friends, listen. Our entire community should be shaken with the number of believers that we have with the the continual spirit-empowered declaration of the greatness of our God. Because every time we are spirit filled and we declare it, you have the whole power of God behind you and the angelic world to make that real. There is nothing like the testimony of a godly Christian in a secular workplace in an appropriate way rejoicing in his God. There is no answer for that, especially during times of trial. He had unclean lips which revealed an unclean heart. Luke 6, 45, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. We come short of the glory of God. Oh, my friends, it's so tragic. So many Christians live with remorse John Randolph, when he was dying in Philadelphia, kept repeating, Remorse, remorse. He demanded that a dictionary be brought so that he could study the meaning of the word. And when no dictionary could be found, he had the physician write it out on a piece of paper. Remorse. Remorse is a groundswell in the ocean after a storm. The storm has subsided. The sky is blue. The air is balmy. There is not a white cap to be seen. But the ship heaves and tosses and leaves the traveler in misery because the mighty swell that has remained after the original commotion has subsided. So remorse heaves the soul in the tides as tides that heave the ocean. I can tell you, my friend, if down deep there's remorse, there's still guilt, there isn't freedom, the grace of God is available. There is not that wonderful fellowship with the Lord, my friends. There's not praise to God. Oh, well, we can be thankful here and there, but there isn't that life of praise that everything about your life directs people to God. And that's what was so distressing here for Isaiah. He says, "I'm not able to. The people are not able to uh, to praise the Lord." And, uh, and so it's so important that, like Isaiah, folks, if we're going to be used of God in, in the year 2023, and God, listen, every decision we make we can follow through on, but we've got to be in fellowship with God. He is powerful. The one that's seated on the throne is able to do it. He has made every provision through Jesus Christ. He's ready to work and forgive. But if we hold on to sin and we do not see it as horrible as God sees it, we will then not realize the grace we need to be able to have the victory in the days ahead. Oh, I tell you, the independent spirit of our day has gone way into the church. I've quoted this before, but I think uh when the communists back uh, years ago when they beat us to the uh in the space war uh, or space race um, made this statement. it just was a the a good explanation of man's thinking as soon as Russia's satellite touched outer space, Moscow's magazine. Uh, indicated that creation from the communist point of view is at last under new management (laughs) sorry it's not but i think sometimes christians think they got things under control we will continue to fall and break our decisions until we realize what a great god we have this is not negative folks but until we get a vision of God's glory and revel in it and praise God and to realize that that grace will, will just transform us, instead, when we hold on to our sin and independence, we're going to lose it. Well, the vision of God's gl- uh, mercy, let me just quickly I'll give this to you. We read in verse 6, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand. Isn't that wonderful? One of the flaming ones, which he had taken with tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. God is the only one who can cleanse. And obviously, on the altars, there would be coals. I personally think, though, this may have come from the very throne itself, uh, with the hand of the seraphim because if this is a pre-incarnate vision of Jesus Christ, a theophany, it was going to be the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That's the only cleansing we have. This speaks, this live coal off of the altar speaks of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. If we will humble ourselves like, uh, like Isaiah did and cry out to the Lord, God will heal us. It's a wonderful thing. And by the way, where was the coal put? On his mouth. Do you see how important praise is? I'm not talking going to the form of praise. I'm talking about a life that is enthralled with the reality of God and who cannot help but speak out of a heart that's having victory of the greatness of their God, living in that reality moment by moment. It's all because of Jesus. When there came the world's great day of atonement, the fire of God's love consumed the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the brazen altar of divine justice. Hallelujah. And we need to experience and tell of God's mercy. Oh, friends, so much of the things that we talk about, oh, we need to make a resolution to reach people with the gospel. We need to pray more. All of these things. Folks, If we would experience the cleansing of God and let God work in our hearts, we would be amazed at what God would do in our lives. He would change our hearts. The story is told of William C. Burns, godly, godly revivalist. The man who actually blessed Hudson Taylor, and really Hudson Taylor became who he was much because of William Burns. And Robert Murray McShane was another one that we admire so much. And uh, it's told of him when he was only a boy of 17. This was a young man that had walked with God and really in many ways had that same experience of seeing God as Isaiah did. He visited the city of Glasgow uh, with his mother for the first time in his life. The mother suddenly lost her boy in the crowd and after many anxious moments discovered him in an alley with his head buried in his hands sobbing with a broken heart. What ails you, my lad? asked the Scottish mother. Oh, mother, mother, said the country boy. The thud of these Christless feet on the way to hell breaks my heart. That wasn't personality, my friends. That was a man. That's all the Lord high and lifted up. Let's bow for prayer.